are in week two of this series, Questioning Christmas. Hopefully you got this uh, little study journal to follow along with us. It just has the scripture and some place to take notes. Today is gonna be really different. Uh, than our normal sermons, you're going to want to take notes. It's gonna have a little bit of an apologetic bent to it. Uh, and, and I want you to write these things down and go back and study them on their own. So you can use that journal to do that. But today's question that we are going to answer is, is the Christmas story just a story? Like is the Christmas story just kind of a cute story that we made up in culture and maybe in the church and it just makes us feel good around Christmas time or is there more to it than that? And as we look at that question, we really have to acknowledge right off the top, hey, there are parts of this story that we do make up. And I don't mean just like the culture, like, I mean like the church, like in the Christmas plays and the Christmas lights and the shows that we have and the nativity scenes even that we have, there's some things that we have made up and we're gonna get into what a few of those things are in a moment. But I would say just one thing I found out the other night when I was reading the Action Bible with my kids, Parents, I would highly recommend the Action Bible. It's fantastic. I was reading it out loud. We were reading some of the Christmas story together, 12, 9, and 6 years old. And I'm reading out loud about the part where Joseph and Mary had to flee. Because King Herod, if you know the story at all, he was coming to get all the babies because he didn't want baby Jesus to rise up and take his throne. So he was coming to get all the babies. And I read out loud to my three kids. I said, hey, Joseph and Mary had to flee. And my six-year-old, is the cutest thing ever, she said, Dad, don't you mean fly? <laughs> you see, the word flee is not a regular part of her, of her vocabulary. She's six, people. So she just thought, no, Dad, you made a mistake. It's fly. Part of the reason, because it wasn't in her vocabulary, but part of it, it's just easy to get caught up in the fairy tale of Christmas, right? I mean, Santa flies, so why not Joseph and Mary? <laughs> I mean, why not just this? This is just like another story on the map of all of our fairy tales. And, and it could be easy for us to get caught up in that, even for us as Christians, even for us in the church. And so we want to look at today, is that the case? Is this story just a kind of made up story to make us feel good? Is this a cute story or is there more to that? Is it a story that's both historical and reliable? In fact, that's our big idea as you take notes in your fancy study journal. I know all of you are, right? Okay. Um, here's our big idea that you can write down. It's what makes the story of Jesus so popular and powerful is ultimately that it's historical and reliable. See, Christmas stories everywhere, right? It's on your mantle and your nativity scene. Some of you go big, it's in your yard, right? It's blown up, like it's at light shows you go to. It's in music and plays, and you see like the little cute Mary who's holding Jesus like upside down. <laughs> Christmas stories everywhere. It's so popular. Why is it so popular? What I contend is it's so popular because it's so powerful, historical, and reliable, right? So that's what we're gonna look at. So here's my goal. It is a little bit different sermon. My goal is if you're a Christian in this room, you say, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus. I pray that this gives you an informed, bold faith that as you read the Christmas story afresh this year, it would be different. As you sit down with an Advent devotional with your kids, it would be different. It would change you because you would say, this is real. This is reliable. It's historical and therefore it's powerful. If you're not a Christian, let, we love it that you are here. I pray that you would see you don't have to choose between blind faith and logic. 
You don't have to choose between those two. You can have an informed, confident faith that you choose to place your faith in Jesus, maybe even today. So that's where we're headed. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 1. We can't read the whole Christmas story, so we're just going to read a snippet of it found in Matthew chapter 1. Get a Bible in front of you. Pull it up on your app. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I always think if I'm Joseph, I'm like, sure, okay. <laughs> right, next week, come back. We're going to talk about the virgin birth and that question. So come back for that next week. But verse 21 it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I want to look at this story and what's in this snippet of our story, but I also want to look at the broader story and see what's not there. As we talk about is the Christmas story just a made-up story, I want to just acknowledge here's some things that we have made up. The first thing, this is going to break some of y'all's hearts. I'm sorry on the front end. The Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> Fantastic song, fake part of the story. Right? It's not in there. Another thing that's not in the biblical story of Christmas that we have made up and added in is the grumpy innkeeper. How many of you have seen the play where the grumpy innkeeper, he's like the hotel receptionist, just being so mean to the Son of God and Jesus and Joseph and Mary? That's not actually in the story. In Luke chapter 2, it says there was no room in the inn. That's it. We don't meet the Scrooge at the front desk. In fact, some scholars believe like in a village town like Bethlehem, when it says inn, it was actually talking about like a house that had an extra room that may have had a manger in it. And that was the inn. We don't know, but we don't see a grumpy innkeeper. innkeeper. That's something we've added to the story. You look at the wise men. You go on reading, we're in Matthew 1, you go on reading Matthew 2, and what you see is our story of the wise men and many of our nativity scenes are made up. Things we've added to it. Right? Uh, there's a couple of things. One, we say three wise men, we three kings. We sing that, we put it on our mantle as if it is true. But actually, we don't know if there was three. Some of you are like, Tim, don't ruin my nativity scene. I'm, not I'm just trying to help you. I'm your pastor, I love you, right? What we see in uh, Matthew chapter two is we see that there was three gifts named. There could have been more. And we kind of logically think like well, they're men, not super strong, so must be one gift per person, right? I don't know how. We just assume there's three gifts, must be three men, but we don't really know that. We add that in, we, we make that up. But also even just the wise men being in our nativity scene uh, with a lying baby Jesus in a manger, we don't know if that's true. We kind of add that in. You see, what we see is you look closely in Matthew chapter two, it says, after Jesus' birth, the wise men came from the east. Some scholars think like Babylon, we're not sure, but it was after Jesus' birth, the wise men were in the east. They came and traveled lots of miles to Jerusalem. Baby Jesus wasn't there. 
They stay a little bit. They talk to King Herod. I imagine that was a process. I don't know how long they were there. I don't know how long it took them to get here after Jesus' birth. And then they went to Bethlehem. So our nativity scenes where the three wise men are hanging out with baby Jesus lying in a manger, maybe something we added in. Maybe Jesus was crawling around like a little toddler eating rocks. We don't know, right? We kind of added. So here's my point is uh, build a new nativity scene. No, it's not. not uh, maybe like put the wise men like down the street or something. I don't know. That's not my point, right? My point is just to acknowledge, hey, hey there are some things we add in and make up. And my point is, the application, we're going to find this a lot in this sermon, like, what's the application? What do I do with this? Read your Bible. How many Christmas seasons have you never read the Christmas story? You've just seen it in plays and heard it on your favorite songs, but you've never actually read the actual account. Read the Christmas story this year. Like, read, it's just Luke and Matthew, just two different gospels. Read the story for yourself. Notice the details afresh, anew, like you're reading it for the first time. But also to see, hey, there's some things we make up, but, but as we look at the heart of the story, I want you to see, as we look a little closer, as we read it for ourselves, I want you to see how it is actually historical and reliable. I'm gonna give you three things. Here's the first thing. As you look at this story, Matthew 1, 18 through 23, just the passage we read, here's what you see. You see real people. You see real people. Mary and Joseph. You see Joseph, son of David. We get some Ancestry.com before that existed, right? You see, David, King David, he wasn't Joseph's dad. What Matthew is doing is he's showing you, hey, there's history connected to this story. There's a lineage. In fact, if you back up a little bit in Matthew chapter 1, what do you see? A list of names, a genealogy, the part of Scripture that many of you skip, Because you're just thinking like, well, all these names, I'm going to go ahead and bypass that, get to the real stuff. No, 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 don't bypass that. What that is showing you is historical figures. Joseph and Mary had family. Never do you see like once upon a time in a land far, far away with these mystical beasts and these magical potions. There you see real people, Joseph and Mary. Hey, where did Joseph descend from? Oh, David. Oh, I've heard of that guy. He was a king. And all these other names that we skip, You need to read because they're showing you this story is connected to history. It's real people. But it's also real life events. As you read just this story, you see marriage, you see divorce, you see birth. You can't get more real life than divorce. You can't get more real life than a birth, than marriage. These are things everyone has experienced throughout time. Real people, real life events. And then you get real places. In Matthew chapter two, it starts off with, in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Did you catch all that? We get town, region, and the king who was in charge. Why all that detail? See, here's what you wanna do. This is a little side tip, free tip to take with you on the way home. If you wanna start a cult, (laughs) here's cult 101. Right? Like, don't start a cult, but if you wanted to, here's how you would do it, right? You don't put real people in your story. You don't put real life events in your story. You don't put real places with a lot of detail about them. You know why? Because someone could then go refute and dispute those facts. You know how you start a cult? Don't do it. But you know how you do it? You say, I had a dream, a vision in the middle of the night. Who was there? No one except me and God. 
Oh, how convenient. But I had this dream and I had this vision and I'm gonna build this religion. I'm gonna build this made up story and get some momentum and get some hype train. And guess what? Nobody will be able to refute or dispute that. But that's not what you have with the Christmas story. It's not what you have with the story of Jesus. It's not what you have with the story of the Bible. You have real places, real people, real life events, real eyewitnesses that people could have come back to and said, hey, that's not true. They could have refuted it. They could have disputed it. If you're gonna make up a story, you don't do it like this, right? Now, some of you are more skeptical like me. I mean, I'm the one who planned this series. I'm skeptical as any of you, so bring it. And maybe a question you have is, okay, well, Tim, that's convenient of you to share about how the Bible is reliable from the Bible. What about the Bible itself? How do we know that this Christmas story in the Bible, in the Gospels, how do we know it's reliable? How can we trust the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked, right? I'm gonna give you a few things, and this is gonna be a little bit nerdy. Uh, maybe for some of you, you're gonna impress your friends at the next Christmas party. I don't know. I don't know how you roll, but I'm gonna give you a few things that I think will be helpful for you to have an informed, confident faith. You ready? Okay, Dr. Daniel Wallace is where I get a lot of this info from. Uh, you can look him up later. I'm gonna give you a few snippets from him, but he's a guy who, uh, my favorite message by him is, is what we have now, what they wrote then. If you were to Google, is what we have now, what they wrote then. You'll see his video, you'll see his talks about that. It's gonna be really helpful for you about the Bible. I'm just gonna give you a few things. Here's the first thing is our ancient manuscripts. Um, when historians look at the validity and reliability of ancient texts, ancient manuscripts, and when we say ancient manuscripts, here's what we mean by manuscripts. In ancient times, in ancient days, they didn't have the printing press. So the way they distributed copies of, of text was they had scribes who would literally handwrite and make copies of things like handwritten, they didn't have a printing press, to get them out and distributed so when we say manuscripts, that's what we're talking about. As you look at all ancient literature, there's primarily two tests to see, are these ancient texts reliable and historical and accurate? The two tests are this, how many of the manuscripts do we have? How old are the manuscripts do we have? And so for reference, if you look at uh, some works like by Plato and um, other things that you study, classical works that you study, maybe even in school, that historians look at and you study them in school because hey, they're accurate, they're reliable, they're historical. Here's how many manuscripts we have of stories like that. Oftentimes a dozen, maybe a few dozen. In the rarest cases, maybe a few hundred. Right? As we look at the New Testament and we contrast that, right? And we say, well, hey, it was an ancient text, it was an ancient literature. Like how many manuscripts, how old are, are these? As we look at that, we have 5,000, 500 Greek New Testament manuscripts. Like Plato's works maybe would stack up to this podium. The New Testament Greek writings, the manuscripts we have, man, you, I don't even know if you could fit them on this stage. We have so many, right? And, and not just that, how old are they? Several of the ancient manuscripts that we have of the Bible, the New Testament, they go back to the second century some of the oldest, some of the most manuscripts we have of all ancient literature, more than any other, is the New Testament. And that's just in Greek. It was also translated in, in other languages like Latin in those days that we have thousands and thousands of more manuscripts. So if you've, ever, if you've never thought of this and you're like, Tim, I don't wanna know this. Yes, you do. This is what, 
Why is the Christmas story, why is the story of Jesus so popular? Why is the Bible still the best-selling book of all time with all the textual critics, with all the National Geographic specials? How is it still there? It's the most popular story because it's also the most historical and reliable story. Amen? This should give you confidence this morning. And it's not just the ancient text of scripture, it's other ancient texts. There's several of them, but one by Josephus, one by a guy named Tacitus. Again, go Google that, nerd out with your friends at the next Christmas party, maybe, I don't know. But these guys wrote these ancient documents that confirmed Jesus and accounts that we see also in the New Testament. It's amazing when you look at it. And And if we really look at it, what's even more remarkable is that these accounts in the Gospels about the story of Jesus were even written at all. See, A.C. talked about this last week. Go back and listen to that sermon. He talked about primarily in this ancient day, it was about oral tradition, not the written word. And so you had people passing down things verbally all the time. Why? Because it was expensive to write things down and not many people could even read it. So why waste your time? And so what you have in in ancient history is a lot of ancient literature was written by famous wealthy people because they had enough money to hire a scribe to walk around with them in their life and to chronicle their life and write it down. And they could even edit it and certain parts of it and, and things like that. And, and that's what we typically have. If we have ancient literature, it's because of wealthy people who paid scribes to write these things down. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus wealthy? No. His dad was a carpenter. He grew up in a small town called Nazareth. Scripture itself says, what good can come from Nazareth? Right? Much of his life, 33 years old, he dies. 30 years was obscure. And yet, we have four accounts in our Bible written about this Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you think it is. It's mind-boggling. It shouldn't happen. Much less should we have 5,500 manuscripts about it that have stood the test of time. It never should have been written. And yet it was. Why? Because it really happened. And because it was very powerful. And so people took time to write it down. Not because they were paid to do it, because they were amazed by it. Because it really happened. In fact, the Gospel of Luke, here's how he starts out. Many people have compiled a narrative Many other people that we, not even in the scriptures, tried to write down things about Jesus. That was an anomaly. Why? Because it really happened. Because it was really powerful and people wrote it down. It's because the reason the Christmas story, why is it so powerful? Why are little cute angels on every stage in every school and every church in the month of December? Why are we telling this Christmas story? Why do we put it in our nativity scenes? Why is it so popular? Because it's historical, verifiable, and reliable. So we're done, right? You convinced yet? No, okay, we'll keep going. I know some of you are more skeptical than that. I am, so I have another question in my notes. Uh, some of you are thinking, okay, well, Tim, like, um, I'm still not convinced. Well, let's just think about it logically, right? Remember, we don't have to choose between blind faith and logic. Let's just think about this logically. Let's just think about, a lot of people say, some people will say, hey, the disciples sort of made up this story. Maybe you've heard that before, about the resurrection, the Christmas story, the whole thing. Maybe the disciples made it up. Let's just play that out just for one moment. The first thing I would say is this. If you look at the disciples, that is highly unlikely and unbelievable, right? The disciples didn't get a lot of things right. 
they were mostly simple men, mostly fishermen. They were not members of the CIA, right? And so to think that the disciples came up with this grand story, carried on, that's what I always think about, they carried on this story all the way to their death. Oh, and they actually, they gave their life for this story. You want to know if something's true? You know what you do? You apply pressure to it. The disciples had pressure. They had people wanting to take their life. And at the end of their days, historians will tell us, all of the, most all of the disciples, they died. They died saying, I believe in Jesus. It really happened. I want to follow him. I want to give my life to him and for him. And so you don't do that for a self-made falsehood. But let's just think about that. Like if, if they were to do that, that would be a miracle. In fact, one historian and philosopher said it this way, Will Durant, he said, that a few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a personality, so lofty an ethic, and so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood. Well, that would be a miracle. Far more incredible than any recorded in the Gospels. It'd be a miracle if the disciples made this up. Right? They died for it. They didn't make it up. The second thing, if they made it up, the story of Jesus, the Christmas story, the whole thing, they made up a really bad story. <laughs> they left some parts in, they included some parts that you probably shouldn't include. Not if you're trying to create a hype train or a movement, right? They left in the crazy parts, like the, the parts where Jesus said, hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah, let's include that one. That's, a good, that's gonna sell a lot of copies, guys. Like, let's do that. No, Right? But they included those crazy parts. They included the parts where Jesus said things like that seemed to be conflicting, like, I came to bring a sword, not peace. And you gotta think all the disciples in that moment are like, can you not say that, Jesus? It doesn't fit well with the narrative. We want the little kids to come around you. I, I am peaceful, but you don't understand. It's different than that. They left in the crazy parts. They left in the embarrassing parts, like everything Peter said. <laughs> Like the times Peter's like rebuking the son of God. Let's put that in there. <laughs> like the times Peter denied Jesus, the three times. I would have left one of those times out. I would have left the little girl that's pressing him. I would have left her out. I would have made it a big, strong Roman guard yoked up. If I'm making up a story, that's what I do. They left in the embarrassing parts. They put them in. They put in the hard parts. You know, this story isn't the story everybody wanted, right? In this day, in the Jewish day, here's what the Jewish people wanted. Here's the story they were hoping for, waiting 400 years for, Old Testament to new. They wanted a story of being rescued, delivered from the evil enemy of the Romans. That's the story they would make up. And yet Jesus over and over frustrates them by saying, no, no, you know your greatest enemy, it's not out there, it's in here. It's your sin. And in fact, if your right hand is causing you to sin, why don't you cut it off? They were thinking, no, you're gonna cut their hands off. Not telling us to cut our hands off because of our sin. We're not the enemy, the Romans are the enemy. You're gonna rescue us from the Romans, not our own sin. This is not the story we wanted. That's the story we got. They left the hard parts in. They didn't write a story to say, hey, all it's about is, you know what it is? You know what it is? You believe in this Jesus guy? Health, wealth, 
prosperity, comfort, more comfort than you can ever imagine. You know what? Just sit in that is happiness. That's why Jesus came. Is that the story they wrote? No. No. The story they wrote is take up, you want to follow Jesus? Take up your cross. They knew what a cross was. It's really heavy, but not just that. It leads to your death. You want to follow Jesus. Let's write that down. You want to follow Jesus. Take up this cross, this execution. Take it up, and then you can follow me and deny yourself in the process. They included the hard parts. They included the seemingly embarrassing weak parts about Jesus. You ever think about this? Like we think of stories, like just think of the most epic story that you can think of. Uh, When I do that, I think of Braveheart and I think of blue-faced Mel Gibson, right? Who in the climactic moment up against the evil ruling authority of that day, he gives this great speech and he paints his face blue, people. Can't get better than that. And he says, against this evil ruling authority, he cries out, you may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. You know it. It's a great story. It's what seems to be strength in the midst of opposition. Contrast that with Jesus. The climactic moment where Jesus is facing this evil ruling authority, the Romans. He's standing next to Pilate being accused of all sorts of of things, being moments to his death. And yet he says, Matthew 27, it says, he uttered not a word. You don't include that part if you're trying to make up a story. Uh, You paint Jesus' face blue and let him go after it. How many of you, if you watch The Passion of the Christ, you know the story of Jesus? Maybe it's just me. You know the story of Jesus, but you're like, get him, Jesus! Right? Like, just go get him. Tell Pilate what's up. Come down off the cross and just start slaying people, Jesus. That's the story that sells. That's the one that gets number one on the New York Times bestseller list. That's the number one movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Not Matthew 27. You uttered not a word. But that's the parts they put in. If they made up the story, they did a really bad, terrible job, people. Why is it all like it is? Why do those parts get put in? Why did they get distributed in thousands of copies? Why do you have a Bible that contains them today? Why do we celebrate a Jesus as a Christmas story? Why, why, does, why does Jesus split history into two parts, B.C. and A.D.? Why is the Bible the most best-selling book of all time and still in 2021? Why? Because it really happened and because it was powerful. See, The reason the story of Jesus is so popular and powerful is because it's also historical and reliable. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, my my goal for you is to hear all these things. And when you sit down and you get out the candy cane for your kid or the chocolate or however you have, um, let's just say, bribed your child to read the Advent devotional, (laughs) Uh, parents, y'all laughed at that. That was the only one. But um, <laughs> when you sit down and read that Advent devotional and they're eating their chocolate and their candy cane, man, you, you read it like it's true. 
you get excited with your kids because you're like, not, you're not just like, yeah, so Jesus and like the baby in the manger and like the wise men, here we go again. <laughs> you're like, guys, my, like Neela Ashman, I'm thinking of my kids, Neela Ashman Tanner. Guys, have you read this story before? Maybe you have, let's read it again. Let's look at it with fresh eyes. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to change, not just our Christmas season, but our whole lives because of this story, because it's, it's true. And then if you're not a Christian in this room, again, you need to hear me say this. I love it that you are here. Part of the reason why we did this series, Questioning Christianity, Questioning Christmas, is because of you. I want you to come. I want you to investigate. You need to know that the brightest people of our world have investigated this, and they've come out believing. Like an Oxford professor, smart, C.S. Lewis, didn't want, you read some of C.S. Lewis's early writings, he didn't want to believe in Jesus. And yet he investigated and couldn't help it. An investigative journalist that worked for the Chicago Tribune named Lee Strobel, he went on a journey to disprove Christianity. Things like the Christmas story, the life of Jesus. And yet he comes to the end of that and he believes in Jesus. People like Tim Birdwell, I know you're thinking, like, he belongs in that list, right? Uh, no, I, I don't belong in that list. I, I'm not as bright as those people, but I would tell you I'm, I'm more cynical than they are. <laughs> if any of you know me personally, I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I'm just, I'm cynical. Like, I don't like Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, my wife makes me watch them, and she always regrets it afterwards. <laughs> because I pick apart the whole story, Right? I, my parents, God bless their souls. They, were the most, they are the most gracious, loving people I know. Seriously. Mom and dad, I love you. Um, and I'm sorry that I was so hard on you when I was a kid, right? This questioning Christmas series, man, before I was ever a pastor preaching this before you, I was doing this with my parents every single Sunday. <laughs> every si- I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And after every service on the way home, question, 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 question. All the way to college until I finally decided I need to read the Bible on my own. I need to investigate some of these things I just shared with you. I investigated them. I read them. I wanted my faith to become my own. I'm a cynical person. I I doubt things. I see things on the news. I'm like, tell me what the real story is. Anybody else? I'll pray for you. It's a hard life. I, I wish I was more accepting, but I'm not. I need to investigate. I need to get my hands dirty. And that's what I did. And even with all the clutter and chaos of 2020 and 2021, I still believe in Jesus. And I'm not just talking about like the chaos and the clutter in our world. I'm talking about the chaos and clutter in my own life. Like family members getting sick, things you didn't expect at Christmas time. That's my story. I'll talk to you afterwards if you want to know the story. Like people and trials in life and things that happen like in my life. All the clutter, all the chaos in our world and in my life. Jesus Christ still captivates my heart, but also my mind like nothing else. And it's what I want to give my life to. And so I would ask you, how do we apply this sermon and read the story yourself. Go on a journey. Even if you're saying, I'm a Christian, but I have doubts, read it. 
Explore it with the people of God, with the word of God. The thing I'll admit, just to be honest with you, is I see in 2021, there's a lot of talk of deconstruction and all these sorts of things. A lot of people have questions. Here's what I see most often. They ask their questions away from the people of God, away from the word of God. Because I think at their heart, they don't think God can handle their questions. So if I have questions, I have to go outside of the people of God, outside of the spirit of God, outside of the word of God to get my questions answered. We're doing this series to show you that is not true. The God of the universe, listen to me, who spoke creation into being and is sustaining the universe by the power of his word, he can handle your questions, amen? He can handle your questions. Bring them in with the people of God, in with the spirit of God. Don't let your questions cause you to leave God. Allow them to draw you to God. He can handle them. He wants to wrestle with you. He wants to answer them. Why? Because he's true. You see, we have other mythical gods that now we call myth because they couldn't handle the questions. God, Jesus Christ, the son of God, can handle your questions. Bring them to him. Bring them to the Christmas story. Read the Christmas story afresh, anew, like it's true, because it is. Right? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven. God, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for this story that we get to read at Christmas time, that we get to not just read, but shape our lives by. And God, I pray uh, for the men and women in this room, for the ones who are watching online, who I know have real questions. God, you would have used this time to help them, to give them tools in their tool belt, to bolster some maybe doubts that they have experienced and give them truth in the midst of that doubt. And to give us all, as we approach this Christmas season, an excitement, an eagerness to read this Christmas story, to read your word, to band together together to do that, and to exalt you because of it, because it is true and good and powerful. God, remind us of that this Christmas season. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.